Hi, and welcome to The Edge Podcast. If we haven't met, I'm Alex, and welcome to The Edge Podcast. If we have, welcome, and it's great to have you back. My life and career has been spent committed to one thing, to the nature of human potential. With postgraduate education in both strength and conditioning science and performance psychology, and over 15 years of professional experience with elite performers from professional sport and the Fortune 500, it's my mission to dig out and dissect what it truly means to thrive. The goal of the Edge podcast is to bring you the stories and information from people who live performance every single day. That could include nutrition, psychology, physiology and training, and also productivity, creativity, and what goes into living out a truly fulfilling path towards personal mastery. It's my belief that we'd all greatly benefit from seeing health and performance in a far less segmented way. That's just not how we thrive. We thrive when the individual links in the chain are strong, robust, and complement each other in ways that respect and enhance our basic human nature. And that's what we aim to bring you with The Edge Podcast. My guest this week is Stefan Henrik. Stefan's educational background is in music business, and he's built a career in representing the commercial interests and brand experience needs of marquee clients in the sport and entertainment industries. Over the course of Stefan's career, he's held roles in sales leadership and strategic business development, as well as account and project management. It was here that Stefan sat at the crossroads of inspired creative thinking and technical innovation, allowing for a more holistic and informed understanding of how to maximize the human experience. And since Stefan and I met roughly a year ago, we've connected around that very idea, maximizing the human experience, be that via Stefan's more commercially centric entertainment and brand focus, or through psychology, identity, culture, and spirituality. Stefan and I got to the point after countless awesome conversations where we just said, why not just record one and put it out there? So that's what we did. Stefan's breadth and depth of experience and his unique path to personal fulfillment speak to the power in following your intuition and the sense of deep meaning that we're all in the process of navigating. So I hope you enjoy this episode of The Edge Podcast with my guest, Stefan Henrik. All right, red light's rolling. We're good to go. Hey, mate, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. I'm very good. I'm very good. We were just talking about coffee, one of my favorite subjects. And you just you just made one, and I made a conscious decision not to have one at all. Cheers. I, um, I just, cheers, cheers. I, um, <laughs> I used to drink way too much coffee, and I think it's one of those things that you just, I personally, it, it becomes such a thing where I just lent on it so much. And didn't even stop to think that I typically, in terms of how I prefer to do things, I like to be a bit more, a bit calmer, a bit more relaxed with things, especially when I'm talking to someone. Totally. Uh, and I was having coffee and then speaking a million miles an hour. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things that I, I think I naturally have a tendency to get, um, not anxious, but um, I get quite fast anyway. Mm. So, uh, you know, piling a double espresso on top of that was, was, was the worst idea, but, uh, you've Are gone you? for it and you, and you're confident with that. I like it. 
I, I totally am. Uh, it's become kind of a bit of a <laughs> crutch, to be fair. I'm, I'm wondering, though, are, are you telling me something? Because I feel this is typically the status quo. I can't help but to have a couple cups of uh, a coffee a day. And, uh, you know, I, I jokingly say that it kind of gets me up to operating temperature. It's kind of like getting a motorcycle up to, to the temperatures you need it to, to be able to get going. But, uh, yeah, coffee, it... Um, it's stimulating. There's definitely a, a threshold that you can pass and there's a point in no return. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, it typically takes me a couple uh, in the day. And I don't know, I guess I enjoy kind of the, the pageantry around having coffee. It's not just the utility kind of benefit of it. I think I just, you know, the taste and making it and as frou-frou as it is to go over there and make an espresso and do all that. It's, you know, or at least it's frou-frou for, you know, the large majority of Americans that just kind of believe in coffee being a sort of, um, you know, thing you drink in the morning with breakfast and that's it. I mean, here in Miami, uh, whether it's the European influences or the Latin ones from, from Cuba, I mean, Cuban coffee is, is a staple. It's a thing. And it's not just something you have in the morning. It's something you have all day <clears throat> and, uh, or you have, in, in kind of specific amounts during the day, but then every day between 2 and 3 p.m., you know, almost like tea time in the UK. Uh, although that's, you know, I was I was sad to find out that that's not really a thing that much anymore. Like you can do it, <laughs> but it's, it's not as... Uh, uh, it, it, listen, it wasn't what my mother made it sound like it was when she was a child living in the UK. She was mm -hmm. like, oh, it's mm -hmm. this thing. And there's so much to it. It, it certainly wasn't that, right? Uh, but here in Miami, with coffee between two and three, it's that kind of cafecito hour, as they say. And uh, whether you're working in a corporate environment and there's that like resident, uh, you know, coffee maker, the, 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 the one that then knows how to get it right. And it's about getting almost like a molasses going where you take a little coffee and you put it in with sugar and you get like a paste and then you use that in these little thimbles. It's, you know, probably more uh, coffee with your sugar than it is sugar with your coffee. But, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a thing and it's an opportunity for everyone to take a break from the day and, and, uh, you know, come together and have a conversation and slow down, uh, while they get, you know, I guess a, <laughs> a jolt of energy as they kind of go through the latter portion of the day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I think that was the thing for me is, is I'd, started to understand that it was it was far more about the process for me that I'd become attached to, that it would get to a certain time, yeah, like you said, two, three o'clock, and I just wanted that process of pouring the coffee and smelling it and sitting down and having a moment just to just to chill out and relax and, and, and have the coffee. But then when you get to nine, ten o'clock at night and <laughs> Like I say, I don't. I don't think it needs. I, I. I think I'm probably quite sensitive to caffeine. I don't need too much in order to kind of get me rolling. So you know, you're at ten o'clock at night, and suddenly you're hearing every minuscule noise that's going on in the house, <laughs> and you're just so. I'm just so sensitized to everything. I can hear what they're literally every word of what they're saying next door, and I'm lying there awake and just kind of <laughs> waiting to fall asleep. So. Yeah, it was one of those things that I just thought, you know what, I really enjoy the process, but the, yeah, I need to, uh, I'll have one first thing in the morning as soon as I wake up and then I'm, I've, the past 
two months, I suppose. I, that that's it for my for my coffee throughout the day. And I thought there was going to be a huge drop off in productivity, in energy in the afternoon. But uh, around about the same kind of time, I started to to do a lot more intermittent fasting. So I'm not eating usually until two, three o'clock in the afternoon, and energy feels completely stable. Just totally. just don't notice any difference with the caffeine whatsoever, aside from the the positive benefit of sleeping better. Um, actually, less. Obviously, the the energy that you get from caffeine is is great, but it's. It can often, depending on your 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 um, how you typically work, whether you're kind of high energy, low energy, etc. The energy from the caffeine can be quite. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Distracting. You know, it can become a lot more difficult to focus on one thing for any amount of time. And, you know, I was definitely finding that it's now much easier for me to focus on one thing for a couple of hours rather than, you know, having with with the coffee, just one thing for 20 minutes. And then, oh, what's over here? I do, uh, you know, I need to do a bit on that, blah, 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 blah. So it just it just works much better for me. But, um, yeah, it's interesting. Um, The intermittent fasting, though, to to your point, I think is a pretty... um, it's something that I've I've recently taken on as well, and mm-hmm. I almost mm-hmm. you know I was drinking more coffee at once upon a you know once upon a time uh, because I felt like eating made me sluggish um, mm. in, in any amount right like I just almost felt like as if it would slow me down so I've stopped eating really before lunch and lunch is a bit later in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, uh, it, it helps quite substantially with just, uh, I don't know, finding, finding the energy and really the focus. I feel that in the focus. So whether it's a combination to your point of that and the coffee, um, you know, mornings feel a heck of a lot more dialed in, uh, mm-hmm. than, than they once did. So, well, there's so much research coming out now about the fasting. I mean, not, 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 not even just recently, there's been quite a bit coming out for a while, but then you hear of, uh, more, uh, people who are in the limelight, who are kind of under the, under the spotlight, talking a lot more about it. Um, Twitter CEO, God, what's his name? Jack Dorsey. Jack Dorsey. Yeah. I was, I was listening to him on, uh, Lex Fridman's podcast. Have you heard of Lex Fridman? He's been on Joe Rogan Not. several times. Really fascinating dude. I, I love this guy. He's amazing. He's a, an MIT guy. Um, super, super bright. He's also a, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt no and any number of other things. He's, uh, he's from Russia originally. I think he came over here when, to the US when he was, I think I could be butchering this, but I think 12 or 13, okay. maybe a bit younger. Um, so he talks a lot about philosophy and so on as well. Really fascinating perspective on a lot of things, but him and Jack Dorsey were talking about this and, uh, Lex is a proponent of intermittent fasting, but I hadn't appreciated Jack Dorsey as as well. Um, so much. So I'm not sure, I suppose you would call his intermittent fasting, but he basically just eats once a day, uh, at dinner time, just his evening meal. And and aside from that, that's it. And he brought up a, an interesting piece that's not necessarily the scientific piece, but more of a cultural uh, mindset piece in the sense of we just get taught from from day one that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And, you know, aside from breakfast, you have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Those are your three meals, maybe a few snacks in between, blah, blah, blah. And you don't really question it, do you? 
Right. I never really did. Yeah, you know, right. and especially when I was playing uh when I was playing rugby regularly, the onus there is to eat more. Yeah, more, more, totally. more, keep getting it, keep getting it in kind of thing. Um, and again, you don't really question it. You think, okay, energy, yes, this is what it is. And obviously for something <clears> like <throat> rugby, the, 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 the rules of the game are slightly different in the sense of you probably wouldn't want to play a game of rugby fasted uh, right. in terms of performance, et cetera, et cetera. And that kind of shorter term energy transfer, um, power output, speed, all that kind of stuff. But from a health perspective, I mean, the research is just mounting up and up and up in terms of intermittent fasting. And that's one of the things that Dorsey said, and a lot of other people I've heard speak about it, just the the, the biggest thing for them has been the mental acuity that they get from it. Yeah. And that's honestly one of the things that I've found the, the most benefit in is I can go without coffee. I mean, there's also the the practical side of it. I don't have to think about making food. I don't have to think totally. about making breakfast. I don't have to think, totally. of, think about making lunch. You know, it's usually the meal around two, three o'clock is something either from the night before or something that's relatively easy to put together. Um, yeah. You just don't have those distractions. You don't have those kind of bits bits of things getting in the way. Um, but yeah, from a, from a physiological perspective, the research is amazing. And we're seeing that from a longevity perspective more than anything. Yeah. Um, which... It's something I come back to time and time again. And I've, I've played around with intermittent fasting before, literally probably sort of 10, 12 years ago. Again, maybe six years ago. And, and obviously now more recently, a couple of months uh, since I've started it up again. And I get really, I, I get a huge amount of benefit from it. It's a really nice uh, sense of, um, I like to feel quite light for me. Mm, I don't like to feel bogged down by food. And, and I think totally. that has a mental capacity as well. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting, and I think uh, it's one of those things that takes a little bit of time to get a get your head around it, and not think the second I feel hungry, I need to eat now. Totally, that was you know easily one of the the biggest things for me initially. But uh, once you get past that and realize that hunger kind of ebbs away after ten minutes, and then you're fine. Totally, uh, it's 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 an interesting process. But anyway. Or you could even have to, a you know a handful of nuts or something like that, right. and, and oftentimes that's all you really need. It's almost kind of a mental thing, to your point, than it is actually a, a physiological one, right? Like, like a, mm. something your body is actually craving. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And there are things you can do to make the whole process easier. And and you know, they talk about the fasting slump and uh, when you first kind of start it, but uh, that's one of those pieces where adding in electrolytes, good Himalayan salt, something like that uh, in water makes a huge amount of difference. Just the, just getting that sodium, potassium, magnesium, calcium up uh, and keeping that at a good level is uh, makes the world of difference. So a good electrolyte powder or droplets or something like that makes makes the world of difference. But, um, That's a good point. It's, it's good to have you here. Yeah. We've had so many conversations, uh, and as as you could probably tell from how this one started, they t- typically start somewhere and then just just move all over the place, which is what I uh, one of the many things I love about our conversations. But um, you know, just to give it some uh, context, why don't you take us through? Uh, <clears throat> we met uh, through through Edge and and talking about Edge's social media and so on, and and the, the wider aspect of media around Edge. Uh, and that's what your profession is. So why don't you take us back um, to how you got in, involved in it all, and uh, we'll go from there. 
Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, I, I, first off, I appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to, 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 to be a guest on, on the show, man. I, I, I was, uh, uh, flattered when, when you reached out and, and asked if it might be something I'd be uh, up for. And, um, you know, just uh, to your point, I, we got connected through some mutual friend or mutual friend, uh, sometime back and, um, you know, started, I think our, our friendship, our journey, if you will, uh, talking about edge and, and the business that you've been, you know, that, that you've gotten off the ground and, um, you know, the conversation started around some of the areas that I might be able to help with creating, uh, engagement with the brand that you've created socially, um, which has been an incredibly fun process to, to one, get to, you know, obviously get to know edge, um, and get to know the brand uh, really better, better understand, I think, subject matter that's always really intrigued me. Um, and I've, I've kind of, you know, researched or uh, been familiar with at a surface level, but never really spent any uh, considerable amount of time trying to better understand independent of it, the role that it plays in a performance story of someone else, right? I guess if that makes sense, right? Kind of understanding mm-hmm. the tools and tricks that people do uh, to kind of achieve performance for themselves versus trying to separate those and understand the tools themselves uh, and then find ways to kind of incorporate them in your life. Um, so that's been a really fun journey, both for me professionally and, and personally. Um, and, and then to get to meet you, man, I, I you know, I think before we talk about you personally, I think, you know, there's so much of a founder that's found uh, to be redundant there in, in their, in the business they start. Right. I mean, I, I know I've said when we've chatted on, on countless occasions that, you know, in a lot of ways, the business is kind of a distillate of yourself, right. There's so much of yourself that, that it's, it's like a child, right. It's, it's, uh, it's, 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 you know, certainly an outcome of, blood, sweat, and tears, but, but there's a sense of personality, right. That, that, that also, um, becomes inherently part of the brand and part of the, the brand's mission for, for the world. And, uh, I think through that lens, being able to get to meet you and, and build a friendship, um, you know, again, is something I've been really excited about. Um, you, you know, we, we met kind of in the midst of, of COVID and, and kind of all that's going on in the world, uh, right now. And I certainly look forward to, uh, you know, to, to building on it and, uh, and, and, you know, without being cheesy about it, I, I, I really do look forward to our, our weekly touch points and, uh, you know, just getting to the chat and, and, you know, I, I look forward to the friendship that's been started and, and where that'll go in the future, my friend. So I, I, again, thank you for the opportunity. It's, uh, you know, really exciting to be here and, uh, you know, to, to, to be able to support and, make an edge what it uh, deserves to be. So I appreciate that, man. Yeah. It's, 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 it is interesting to hear you say that we first met in the right, pretty much right at the beginning of COVID, wasn't it? Because it was our, I think our first conversations were towards the end of April, 2020. Uh, And (laughs) at least, at least from my perspective, I'm pretty sure I was still thinking, oh, I'll probably be around for another month or so, and it'll kind of start to ebb away. And uh, but uh, here we here we still are. So, but uh, I think it's one of those things, and you know, these things always grow and they they develop, don't they? And I think one of the things that's characterized our relationship 
from my perspective is the authenticity of the communication and you know everything's been out on the table and we've just always kind of had these very open very um meandering conversations about performance and about mentality and mindset and you know just any number of other things and i think going back to that first conversation i think one of the first things that i certainly connected with i was reading the tao te ching at the time and i or i think i just finished reading it and in our first conversation i think you'd said yeah when i was what were you so 18 19 years old you'd read the tao te ching and, 16 and actually 16, 16 sorry 60 sorry i'll give you that two years <laughs> uh, <laughs> and i thought holy cow that's that's kind of weird that's kind of crazy you don't i mean it's obviously a popular book but you don't hear of too many people that you speak to on a regular basis reading it so that was definitely a a, a, a good flag for me of just like ah oh, this is cool uh, having these Truth. conversations and and we've spoken about any number of things in relation to mindset and mentality since then um and that's one of the, definitely one of the things that I'd like to hear more about from your perspective and how you've integrated that because you right from the start of our conversations have appeared to me at least to be someone who has a huge plethora of um influence and a variety of a huge variety of the influences on your not only from a personal level but a professional level True. uh you were in a heavy metal band you're also reading the tao te ching it's like <laughs> okay <laughs> this this dude this is a multifaceted kind of guy over here so Cheers. yeah I'm, I'm intrigued to hear more about how that sort of kind of came about and played out for you yeah no that's a it's a fair question you know it's um I think the flip side of that is there aren't many people and, and maybe, you know, maybe in your area of expertise, right, your profession, there are more people that read the Tao Te Ching. For me, it was like, I mean, there was not people barely understood what Tai Chi was. Right. And and for me, that, that was almost kind of like a foray into kind of understanding. Uh, mm. And I'll explain in a minute, but but really kind of for me, you know, Tai Chi was what I wanted to do. And the person that was in a position to influence that made me kind of go back to the beginning and understand some of what I was asking for. And I know we've, um, you know, maybe mildly talked about it, but I, I can certainly elaborate on it. Um, you know, I, as a kid growing up in Miami, got into, you know, a lot of trouble, um, you know, allowed the circumstances of Miami, I think, uh, and my upbringing um, to to kind of create, you know, uh, an environment where you live a little faster and you experience a little more than most people do by the time they reach uh, the age of 16. And um, prior to me, you know, becoming, so I guess 15 years old, I got sent away to a, um, I guess call it a, I call it the camp, right? It was a, it was a boys reform school of sorts. It wasn't a military school that was very different. It was, you know, the regiment of a military school meets the uh, unorthodox sort of uh, approach that you saw in like boys reform schools. You know, if you think holes or you read, you know, watch the movie, you, 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 you read the books. It was, it, you know, it likened itself to to more of a holes scenario than it did, um, 
you know, a military school that that's, we were the place that the kids uh, went to after they got kicked. There was a big famous school called uh, Fork Union that uh, kids got kicked out of and they came over to the discovery school. So it's where, where I went. And, um, you know, I, I think at the time it was a culmination of both the state and family kind of going, this was a way to kind of get you back on the straight and narrow. Um, you know, I, I was supposed to be there for, 18 months. Um, I ended up there for six months, tried, uh, it was four or five months before I got to go home uh, to not even home, but get to see family. Uh, most people got that at two or three months. I tried running away a couple times when I first got there. So I got in a bit more trouble than most kids. Um, and I, uh, and all, all of this is relevant because I think it adds context to why Tai Chi was so important for me, I think, at that moment. Um, but I was at a point where, uh, you know, it was pretty self-destructive, both to myself and I think the world around me. Right. And, and I wasn't as aware of the collateral damage I think I might have been creating at the time, as most of us, you know, maybe aren't. Some some are probably more socially and, and kind of just aware, I think, you know, of, of their influence over the circumstances around them. For me, it wasn't. I was a bull in a china shop and to some degree, you know, was really angry and uh, kind of just, you know, let it, it kind of rolled with it nonetheless. And um, in a lot of ways, uh, this place just provoked that further and um, got in a lot of trouble when I got there. It was very different in terms of the regiment. I'll, I'll save you the boring details, but it, uh, you know, I, as I was after a couple of times of trying to run away, one of the, the gentlemen that was assigned to our group, you know, our, our team, if you will, um, he was a Vietnamese gentleman Um you know, I guess my age now, like in his thirties, um, you know, he, you know, was from Virginia. So I went, to, it was in central Virginia was where's where I got sent, um, basically picked up from Miami, taken there, um, against my will and, uh, <laughs> and ended up in this environment. But this, this gentleman was always really, uh, he had this sort of quality about him that was very trusting. And, uh, it was, I, didn't say anything to him. And even when I was in circumstances that I completely deserved because I was uh, challenging, you know, the, the rules of this environment, um, he always had a kind of a central calm to him. And I think after some time, I started watching him, you know, Sundays were a day where you got a little free time and, and you know, people, each, each of the groups couldn't kind of co-mingle, but our group, everyone got to kind of do their thing. So some people are kicking around a soccer ball or, some are playing football or, you know, whatever. And, and, and this gentleman was practicing, but I, I mean, I didn't know what it was at the time, but it, it, it was very Mr. Miyagi-esque, right? And, and I, it was just practicing Tai Chi, right? And I think the fluidity of the movements and, and really, I think the calm that he possessed in the moment um, was something I craved, right? As an adolescent, uh, kind of the world around you moving at such a pace and, and almost really at the end of the day, looking for that sense of discipline that I thought he possessed right. in in, in that moment. And for that reason, I ended up, you know, approaching him and, you know, Mr. So-and-so would, would you be willing to, to teach me this? Right. And no, no, no. And very much again, very Mr. Miyagi, yes, kind of brush it off and goes, no, you, you, you don't, you know, practically you, you don't, you don't want any of this. 
And I think it was fair. And I think what he was trying to say in his own way was you don't, you don't have the focus that you need to really appreciate what this means and what this is. And, you know, a day goes by and I ask him again and a week goes by and I keep asking him and a month goes by. And, you know, meanwhile, I'm, I'm working and trying to build up enough trust because you had to build trust within the program to go to school, which was a bit of a reprieve during the day because your two options were get to school and get to study from a textbook or you're working. And, you know, hard labor, basically, from when the sun goes up to when the sun goes down. Um, so for me, it was this, if I could figure out how to do this, even if it was just on Sundays with him, it was this sort of maybe, there, there may be more for me to learn from this that I could kind of carry through uh, the week. And um, after repeated efforts, uh, trying to get him to teach me something he uh he goes do you you know do you really want this i'll never forget it It was over dinner um so we had these big like communal you know we'd make dinner for for the group and there'd be a couple people and they'd make dinner and it was everyone's night you know team would you know there were 10 of us and two of us would make dinner for the entire team um so we you know we did that and and uh he was supervising we were talking about and you know he he brought a book with him uh, because they had a day or two off and he got to go home and what have you. Uh, and, and uh, you know, otherwise they, they slept on site at the, these campsites, right? And I guess I failed to mention that. We didn't, we built the barracks that we lived in, right? We mm. basically lived outdoors for 18 months. Um, and he, uh, he goes, read this. And it was on Taoism and it was almost like an informational book, right? On, on the, really the, the philosophy of Taoism. Um, and I was intrigued and, you know, and one big gulp just kind of went through it and went, wow, this is like crazy. Right. And in so many ways it, it, I can understand this uh, and appreciate it in a way that I had, um, you know, for me, I was comparing it to the only thing I knew, which was not even Christianity, but Roman Catholicism. I grew up in a, in a very Catholic household. My mother, mm-hmm. bless her heart, you know, believed in, in this very sort of, you know, she was as close to what I think, you know, a Southern Baptist sort of fire and brimstone, you mm-hmm. know, household might be, but, but in, in, within the spectrum of, 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 you know, Roman Catholicism. And I rebelled against it after a while. I mean, as a kid, I, I was the usher. I was, you know, always how I ended up on the money side of not being an altar boy and all that is always funny to me, but somehow volunteered my time and, you know, was involved in the church uh, in, in that way until I got older. And, and there was a sense of community that I was reading that, that could be garnered from this, this sort of shared ideal of Taoism. And, and I appreciate its balance, right? This emphasis, this emphasis on balance, right? It wasn't, yes, it was elements of Confucius, you know, and, and his rigidity, right? The rigidity that, that exists in Buddhism, which I would still argue is not half as rigid as other religions, and then Taoism, which was in many ways very kind of uh, free flowing and, and, you know, you are the leaf on the creek kind of moving through life. Right. Like that. I mean, these sorts of statements I, I could never separate myself from. Um, and I think trying to find that balance between the rigidity of Buddhism and, and, and you know, the free flowing nature of Taoism is, is something that I started to tell myself required discipline to achieve. And I think that focus Right. That goal of trying to find discipline 
um, became really, really uh, substantial for me. It became very important, you know. And uh, after getting through that, I went back to this gentleman and said, hey, can w- give me more. W- when can we do Tai Chi? And he's like, no, no, uh, nothing more. You know what I mean? Nothing more at this point. And, and basically made me wait like a week or two before we talked about it again. And he really even wouldn't, he wouldn't want to talk about it. Like he, he played, you know, hard to get about this whole thing. And it was very difficult for me because all I wanted to do was learn the martial art, right? It was mm-hmm. to be able to kind of invest my time and energy and do something physical, but, but that maybe kind of allowed me to retain the discipline and that sort of calm that I seemed to kind of, that, that, he, that he seemed to possess as he was doing it. And, um, you know, a couple of weeks went by and he, he brought me another book and it was the Tao Te Ching. And uh, I remember reading through it for the first time and being just absolutely blown away at how simple, obviously, you know what I mean? The, 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 the you know, the language was this, you know, the scriptures of sorts, right? The, the, these, these poems, these, the, the thinking, but, but not simple, not, not simple for the sake of being simple, but simple just because things, it, it was simple with the focus on clarity and creating sort of a timeless communication of these sort of very humanistic uh, uh, tendencies or things to strive for in life, right? It was, it was a rule book in a lot of ways, but, but it didn't present itself as a rule book. It wasn't a, you got to do this or, or else. It was a, hey, here's a potential, you know, here's a code to live your life by or things to consider um, and, and, and as I started to think about or overlay these, you know, these, these incredibly ancient, uh, proverbs, uh, uh, against life and practical situations that I had been in and started to, to kind of identify the connective tissue, uh, between the two, it was, I mean, it just solidified it for me. And I was like, oh my God, like this is, this is Yes, it's simple language. And to someone that's not taking the time to truly understand the meaning of it, maybe maybe I read into it more than more than most people. I, I think not. I think that's the whole intention is, right? It's right there in front of you and most people look right past it. Um, I feel like that is almost part of the purpose of the scripture, especially when you understand the purpose, right? I mean, of, of the Tao Te Ching, right? Lao Tzu believed, um, you know, the first one, if you will, to be enlightened within Taoism, right? The creator of Taoism. Uh, believed in 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 not putting down these words on paper. He felt that alone was too restrictive, and you know there are multiple versions of 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 his work that we ingest today. But in this specific instance, right, it it was a guard at a gate as he was passing through parts of China that stopped him and said, I, I won't grant you access until you kind of give me something to put down on paper. And, and I'll say it to you, but so basically saying we, we all need to learn from this, right? And forced his hand and, and he did it begrudgingly, almost like, a, you know, Enzo Ferrari selling his Ferraris, you know, mm-hmm. it, it was, begr- it was, a, it was, he needed to do it. There's a practicality to that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I guess I appreciated that. And, uh, and I just, I, I felt a real sense of enlightenment started trying enlightenment. Jeez, that sounds so much more <laughs> than what I just, for, for the first time in a long time, I felt a sense of calm as I was doing this, as I was reading this, um, I was, I was starting to practice to meditate, you know, and, 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 and just, I mean, it was clunky to begin with, right? Like initially it was like, I don't even, I and mean, this whole thing feels incredibly awkward. 
Um, and I don't know what to make of it. And then at one point, I remember one night after everyone had gone to bed, because I had this sort of thing where I was like, I mean, now thinking back to it, I'd probably be too embarrassed to do this, but like I'm, I'm meditating, you know, and, 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 and talking to myself in the middle of the tent, but doing it at night. So most of the kids can't hear me. And I remember I, I just the weirdest feeling, man. I, I felt almost as if I was like mentally floating, right? Like you just felt and, and part of it for me with meditating, the whole idea of meditation was very difficult to get my arms around because I couldn't slow myself down enough. Like I was of the impression that you needed to get yourself to this sort of like blank canvas. Um, and that's what meditating was. It was a destination, less a process. And that was difficult, right? I didn't get it. And it was actually this gentleman who, you know, started to practice or, or at least teach me this idea of, you know, uh, a thing to, to kind of say to myself as I was doing it, right? This, 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 you know, and it was this, let it come, let it stay, let it go, right? This sort of practice as you're doing that, a means of calming the mind and, and, you know, let the idea flow. Don't try to resist it take it in for a moment, but that let it, let it exit just as, as easily as, as, as breathing in and out is right. And as you do that and you practice that, it's crazy how you almost put yourself in this or what I perceive to be like a catatonic state where you're like, and, and you're there. And then, so that coupled with reading about like Shaolin monks and the way that they're able to, um, and this later became really kind of a, a bit of a, uh, discovery project for me as I went to school for live music, live production, and started to understand, you know, the, the physics of acoustics and some of the things that are scientifically happening in a, in a, in a monastery, right. When um, you've got all these monks, uh, you know, basically creating resonant frequencies and, and that, that ohm, right. That, that saying that mm-hmm. ohm and practicing that there is a status that you put your brain in with all these sort of frequencies bouncing off one another um, and, and so I, just the fact that that environment could create um, an outcome where human beings felt as if they were kind of having these sort of out-of-body experiences sounded really interesting. And I think being a sucker for experience, it, I wanted to know more. I was, I was incredibly hungry to learn more about the culture, about the practices that help you get closer to that. Um, and it was funny after all of that, almost as if he had planned it that way, this gentleman then finally kind of had that moment where, you know, again, very Mr. Miyagi-esque was like, okay, you are ready. You know what I mean? And, and, <laughs> and we started to, to practice. He started to teach me, you know, uh, some of the primary moves of, of, of Tai Chi and, and, um, you know, obviously there, there are many, many moves. I was still just learning the first few. He was very focused on the precision of the moves um, and, uh, really that being kind of the focus and getting them right before going on to the next. Right. And, um, but I loved it. And, and I think that, and kind of being immersed in all of that, having this individual at a time in my life where I was, you know, lost for lack of a better word. Um, it, it just kind of cemented, you know, or it was one thing that continued to cement for me that I, you know, you think, you have an understanding of the world around you and then you really, and then you really don't, you know, until you, it, it, you realize that you don't and that you can learn a lot more from other people than you can ever really kind of learn from yourself. Sure. You can take that in and then channel that behavior and kind of 
tool yourself to go out there and do things and push yourself. But um, there's so much more that you need to you need to kind of open yourself up to in the world around you to take in. And, and uh, I don't know, for me, that just started, you know, now, I guess, thinking back as I'm saying all this, because to be completely fair, I don't know that I've had this sort of conversation with anyone, um, you know, where, where I'm going into some of these details, I guess, next to maybe just my wife. But, um, you know, it, 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 you, you realize that you don't know anything, you know, really don't know anything, right? And and it's about kind of experiencing things. And I think that that experiences shape our understanding of the world around us. And it began what eventually became a career for me in helping to create uh, and deliver experiences or using that as kind of a North Star for connecting people, right? I mean, if you were to ask me what I'm passionate about today, you know, my profession is certainly advertising, marketing, production. But the passion that drives that is this idea of being able to connect people, um, not just through words, but but through experience, almost, almost at a spiritual level without mm-hmm. it being about religion, right? I think there is this sort of unspoken connection that happens between human beings that we truly don't understand. Uh, you know, not, not to the extent that it's actually happening anyways. And um, that for me has been kind of like a subject of focus for a really long time as I've tried to better understand that. And um, every time I kind of pull a layer back, I realize how much I don't know, um, but also how many people don't kind of connect everything either, right? Like there's, there's a lot of research here and there's a lot of research here and there's a lot of research here, but there's nothing that really kind of connects all these different things. And, and that's been kind of the focus for me as I've... Um, you know, I, I guess try to better understand, you know, I better understand why people do what they do. I guess that's, mm-hmm. that's it at the end of the day. That's the question. Why do people do what they do? Um, both positive and negative, understand that. And then how do you connect human beings with one another? Because it's a pretty powerful thing. I mean, the human condition, um, the human experience is, is fundamental to, to, to our, species right like it's it's there's nothing else no other species on this planet or i mean maybe out there as well right that that uh there's another funny crazy documentary that i just saw as well the ufo one that just launched which i gotta <laughs> I, you, you've got to give a listen to it's pretty is good. it um what's it called i i have to look it up it's on uh netflix it's the one that just launched with all the new um with just the updated you know Obviously, the government's opened up the, the coffers there and released all the information or made public the information that they kept under. Um, I'm, try- I'm trying to look for it now because I I may well have watched the one you're talking about maybe a couple of weeks ago because the the producer or, or director of it and one of the main kind of scientists around it was was on Rogan. Oh, okay. Maybe a month maybe a month ago. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what it's called though, so I'm just going to type in UFO documentary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and see, and there it is. Yeah, the UFO phenomenon. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's on Netflix, the, right? Yeah, James Fox directed it. Yes, yeah. really I mean, good. Yeah, it's fascinating phenomenal. stuff. Phenomenal, <laughs> you know. But I, I don't know. I guess in this kind of never-ending quest to try to understand the world around us, like that's, I think you have to kind of allow yourself to be somewhat not unhinged, but you, you need to unclip yourself from what you think 
reality is or what people say reality is or, or, or what the environment is that we kind of live in and allow yourself to explore and experience. And I think um, only through that can you kind of reach that sort of, I don't know, I guess that, that calm, right? There's a calm with understanding and, and learning and kind of being a um, curious student of the world around mm-hmm. us. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I guess that's been Sorry, it was a long-winded response to your question, but I hope it provided some added context there. No, it's wonderful. Uh, it's such a nice story. I hate to use the word nice, but it's a, it's a beautiful story. It's it's a it's a true story of of finding, isn't it? And I intentionally left something off the end of the, of the word finding because it's it's finding without expectation you automatically think finding what well just finding just just being curious just moving forward just doing what feels intuitive what feels authentic and there's so much there isn't there i mean i must have written down 50 words in the space of the the sort of 10 15 minutes you were talking and this relationship you had with i'll call him your your mentor and how it was a very intuitive, it seems like a very intuitive understanding from his perspective that there was a patience that was needed from you, that there was a releasing of expectation that was that was required for you to really be able to absorb and, and move past the place where you currently were at, at, at that moment. Mm. And I, I find that fascinating, uh, just that that, relationship we have with expectations of I'm going to read the Tao Te Ching so that makes me X I'm going to be able to do Y I'm going to be in this place after I've read it same with meditation I think that that's one of the chief barriers to people really experiencing meditation for what it is is the expectation that they go into it with and it's hard not to develop that expectation it's hard not to go into anything like that that you're committing to that you're committing to on a regular basis ideally on a daily basis if you're going to put something into your schedule that the whole world is telling you is going to have these transformative effects and this huge impact on your life well i didn't feel a thing right and that's that's exactly how how I felt when I started meditating was, oh, you know, you, you hear these kind of very extremely cinematic stories of enlightenment and uh, you know just the kind of world washing by and you're you're just there calm and stoic and and and, and that's what it is. But when you start doing it, it's, like you said, it's it's uncomfortable, it's awkward, it's uncertain there there is nothing that comes off the back of it there is no result and i think understanding that is is hugely important that it's just no you you are just sitting you are sitting in your mind at the edge of a river and you're just letting everything wash by and that's why I i think for me personally that is one of the most impactful empowering images that i can have when i meditate is is sitting by the river and just Whatever thoughts come up, you know, you just throw them out into the river and just watch them wash by kind of thing. Um, 
And then every so often, and I, I hasten to even mention this because I'm so conscious that I don't want people to have expectations of meditation, but every so often, and who knows when, at some undetermined place in time, you'll have an experience like you did, where you're sitting and you feel like you're floating or there's this vibration that's kind of um, resonating from from your heart and from your solar plexus just out into your extremities and it's just the most intense feeling. And I remember the first time I had a meditation like that and it was it just blew me away and it was quite yeah. an emotional experience. But I remember <clears throat> thinking afterwards, oh, I wonder when, when that's going to happen again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just thought, well, I think that's the problem. I, I think I think that's the, exactly the kind of mindset that you need to let it go. Just just be with it. And uh, it's kind of like golf. Like you know, sometimes <laughs> you're you're, you're yeah. right on, and then others you're you're absolutely terrible. At least in my case. Uh, yeah. Well, I think I think about flow, and and I think it's one of those things that you and I have spoken about before. Is whether it's golf or meditation or playing music or wh whatever it is writing any kind of creative endeavor is the second you do release the expectations uh that's where you open yourself up to a whole world of experience to a whole world of potential for flow to a whole world of uh if it's if it's a a learning endeavor to true uh immersion to true um absorption of the yeah. material yep. and really being there Yep. And I think that's one thing releasing expectations does extremely effectively is allows you to be fully present to, I'm not thinking about what I'm going to achieve in the future. I'm not thinking about a, a previous meditation where I felt like I was floating into the clouds. I'm just here. I, I, I just am where I am. And noticing those expectations, noticing those thoughts, those judgments, those future expectations, those previous um judgments just letting it all go letting it all wash by and and yeah it's 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 fascinating to hear that process from your story and how that translates into your i was going to say obsession but i'm not a huge That's fan fair. of the word obsession i think it's something i was speaking to um to uh Andre Lascaris about a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. You, you were the, I think you were the one that actually recommended I watch Soul, the Pixar yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah. How they visually represent flow in that movie is phenomenal. Isn't it remarkable? It's incredible. Yeah. I mean, hats off. It's, it's just phenomenal. Yeah. And the distinction they made in, in that was the second you become obsessed, you fall out of flow. Totally. Which I thought was brilliant. Um, so that's, that's why I'm kind of veering away from using the word obsession. Um, but your commitment, let's say to, to experiences and to you, ex to you having experiences, but you also putting yourself in a position where you can commit to helping other people experience. Yeah. You know, it's, um, you know, it's funny. I, I, I would have called it and, and you put that far more eloquently than I could ever. <laughs> so thanks for that. Um, I, I would say I would have, you know, on its face, I would definitely have called 
the curiosity that exists there for human experience and obsession. But I think as we, as I pause and I think about that for a moment, it's really an obsession with the curiosity, with the trust that that curiosity is going to breed experience. And then being able to kind of through, say, the creative process, kind of let that curiosity go, right? Give it kind of almost like a, like a hound dog, right? You know, like this is what you're after. Go. And, mm-hmm. and letting it run. And I think that's a really, really fun and creative process to kind of be tooled with a loose guide for the things you want to achieve or accomplish when designing or building experience or creating a moment for people to share in. Um, and then just kind of teeing them up to kind of teeing yourself up to kind of enthrall yourself in it and then making considerations as you're creating experience for um, really the, the, the data points, right? The, the, the receiving elements, the sensors that are human, right? I mean, for us, it's the five, right? But I think when you're thinking about the way to engage those five through a myriad of tools, um, it, it kind of gives you almost this infinite possibility, you know, in, an infinite number of possibilities in terms of the way that you get to reinforce storytelling to help kind of create experience. But um, in terms of doing that, you know, for other people, I, I think it was, pretty early on found that, you know, I loved that idea of human experience. I think at one point, you know, you you kind of talk about the band and I um, thought that that was the way to do it, that the most effective way, you know, to, to kind of help provoke that sort of experience and to a degree it is, but then I also kind of, I mean, you have to be halfway decent at what you're doing to, to be successful at doing that. And I don't know that I was as successful in that regard as, Maybe I would have liked to be, um, maybe it was more critical than, than I needed to be, but I also knew kind of what it takes for people to stop focusing on the circumstance and allow themselves to kind of lose themselves in the moment. And I didn't possess that in that way, but maybe there was a way for me to kind of pull together people that were better than me in other areas and be, be almost like a, you know, like a maestro to helping to, mm. to deliver mm. these experiences. And I think that is kind of where I found more comfort, right? I started to kind of cement a focus for me and said, okay, well, yeah, I think directionally, I'm directionally correct. I don't know what this position is or what it means. And, and you know, come to find out after spending a pretty decent amount of time in my industry, you know, because I remember going to college going, okay, I need to find out what that role is. What's the difference? Like, what is the career path? And then pursue it. Mm-hmm. And then I started to realize, and really this happened through up until the point where I decided to unshackle myself from corporate America and build my own business that I always had a foot or a hand in all these different areas. And there really wasn't one sort of central. And it's not because I'm uh, special in any way. That's not what I'm trying to say here. It was more that I think more can be created when you open up your peripherals and you allow other variables to be considered as you're doing and making decisions. Mm -hmm. And that for Mm -hmm. me became the focus is how, you know, everyone becomes so regimented and what they think they need to focus on because that's their job. And that yields the results when for me, it was place the barometer and kind of like, you know, success in a different place um, and have trust and faith that that's going to breed results and trust me, it's still very much a, a pet project. I don't know. You know, I jokingly say with, with people with, with the business, you know, it's being an entrepreneur. You kind of put it out there and you hope to God that it's going to yield the results. But I, I, I having faith, you know, you listen to 
the likes of the Richard Bransons and, and such of the world. And I know we've talked about that as well, but there's this sort of obsession or focus, right? Maybe a better word um, with doing something for someone else. And then that's going to reciprocate itself, right? Like at, at the end of the day, that's, that's a lot of his sort of business philosophy. Hmm. Um, you know, in, in his case, it's for the consumers, put them on, on, you know, make them the priority and that's going to reciprocate the results that keep shareholders and everyone else at bay. So you can continue to go out there and, and make them the primary focus. And, and I think, you know, pulling inspiration from him and, and others, that's been kind of a, you know, again, a, a, an obsession of sorts for me in a different way in understanding what's worked, what's not. I mean, I'm listening to an awesome podcast right now uh, produced by Wondery on um, basically the business greats. And they, they had a four part series on Walt Disney and, hmm. you know, coming out of the launch of Disneyland and how that was almost a failed attempt uh, at one point. And then basically building towards the launch of Disney world in central Florida and the process that he went through and the focus and the determination, despite all the failure that had come, um, you know, and I jokingly say that entrepreneurs are either like really, really ambitious and, and have, you know, thick skin, you know, that I think almost like diamond like skin or, or there's just, they're abundantly stupid, right. Or a mixture of the two <laughs> a mixture of the two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like resilient and willing to overcome anything, but then also, mm -hmm. you know, uh, maybe naive, right? To mm -hmm. to like mm -hmm. a another option, um, whether you're intentionally suppressing that or or it, it does kind of come from you, you know naivete. Like it just you continue to chase things that other people don't see, and and that is um, I don't know. It's a fun process. Uh, so I don't don't necessarily know how I got on that tangent, but I, I, I think just in the spirit of human experience, like maybe that's it, right? Putting, putting that kind of as a central, making that the central focus for connection um, and then turning that into an opportunity to create livelihood, not, not mm -hmm. to, to cheapen it in any way, but, but to, you know, obviously take care of the practical needs in life where, mm -hmm. you know, the thing that you kind of get fulfillment from is, uh, delivering on those moments, you know, it's always been my favorite part, producing a concert, you're doing something live. It's not to watch the, the talent on stage as great as that is. And no disrespect to the talent on stage. It's, you know, and, and I'm not alone here. It's anyone that works behind the scenes that produces those moments. There is a shared sort of appreciation for the thrill of having to make mm -hmm. a moment happen. Mm -hmm. It's adrenaline rich. The show's got to go on. You got to make it happen. But then also being able to look back at the audience and, and kind of use that as, um, success or no success, you know, and when you see people completely consumed by a moment and, and there, um, that's a really, it's a powerful feeling, you mm. know, it's a really mm. powerful feeling. Um, so, mm. I mean, the convergence that must go into creating a moment like that, where obviously you're in a very unique position along with everyone else that's backstage or, or, or wherever else around the production, knows how much goes into it, how much time, how much planning, how much uh, very practically, how much equipment, et cetera, et cetera, but also how much could go wrong, but it didn't. And here it is. And boom, let's slap you in the face with it. You're going to have a great time. You know, I mean, the convergence there is just incredible. So that, that must be a, a really unique experience. What you were saying about uh, about being naive, it reminds me of, um, it's Ross Edgley. 
a quote by him. I'm not sure if, if it's his or he got it from somewhere else, but uh, the guy that swam around Great Britain um, a couple of years back. And uh, he always says that he was just naive enough to start and stubborn enough to finish. <laughs> and uh, exactly I think right. I think that applies beautifully well to any kind of intra- entrepreneurial venture. Like, oh, I have this real, really amazing idea. Let's, let's, ah, screw it. Let's just go for it. Let's try it. <laughs> right. And, you know, that, that's not always the, the, the best course of action. Obviously, you want to do your homework first, et cetera, et cetera. But th- there's always a point where you have to dive in. Mm-hmm. You have to take that risk. And I think being naive enough to start and stubborn enough to finish is a great way of looking at it because, like you alluded to there, I mean, just the, the roller coaster ride of, of this process. Um, is real and it's stark and it's enduring and the more i think about the human species the more i think about how entrepreneurship is just the right thing for us it it makes sense to me how we've got to where we are yes there's a lot of crap going on and a lot of horrendous things but there's also a lot of amazing things happening a lot of incredible innovation a lot of incredible good going on and i think to see how we've got to where we are as a species on the whole, it makes sense to me because I think we are endurance machines. I think mm. there are any number of animals that are faster than us, that are stronger than us, that are more adapted than us to, to any number of things. But I think what we do better than almost any animal is to endure, mm. is to walk thousands of miles or run huge distances, you know, persistence hunting, that kind of thing. Um, We can persist, we can endure, we can do that. And it made me think about what you were talking about in terms of a barometer for success and how that shifts and changes. What's been the process like for you of around the idea of a barometer for success and and how flexible versus not flexible is that for you? Well, that's a, yeah, it's a great question. Um, it's a loaded answer. So, uh, buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the first thing, and this has been maybe a newer realization for me, um, or maybe it's, it's coming back to things that I learned at a younger age and I've just finally kind of come back around to. Um, I used to approach what you considered success um, in very sort of rigid and practical terms, because it was, you know, that success was based on, you know, let me preface this with, you know, like you grew up in athletics, you know, um, that inherently breeds or at least cultivates the sense of competition and, and maybe an unfair bias, uh, towards anything you do, you kind of put things, you know, you look at them through that lens and everything's a competition in some way, shape or form. And if that was, that was the case for me, right. Or a game, something is, it's a game of some sort. There's a puzzle here. There's a strategy, there's a challenge. How do you, how do you use physical and mental means to kind of achieve whatever it is you want? Because there's a duality to it. It's not just boot strength and it's not being the smartest guy in the room. It's a balance between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at those two things and then applying them 
you know, corporate America suggests that. And I, and I say corporate America just because I, a large, you know, really the majority of my career has been spent working for, you know, multi-billion dollar organizations and, and helping them to launch entrepreneurial initiatives. Um, and before that kind of operating in sales or account related capacities. Um, so, you know, what they judge success by is always kind of predicated on some sort of financial metric. So if you're achieving that, then great. If not, then you got work to do or, or else, you know what I mean? I think, um, so in, in, to some degree that transactional nature of perceiving success, um, is is unfair because it suggests almost that it's a finite resource and it was mm-hmm. listening to uh actually funny enough grant cardone and some of the things that he says i mean he talks about he he was able to kind of encapsulate i guess a, a thought or a theory that existed within me and he just you know it's like a thought that you you have and then someone actually says it and you're like yes like that that's mm-hmm. and you know he he talks a bit about success not being finite and that being kind of a a poor way to look at it, right? Like there is an abundance of opportunity out there. It may look different and you might have to, to win in some regards over people next to you, but to frame up every pursuit of success in this sort of binary fashion set your sets yourself up for uh, demise in a lot of ways, because you're, you're, you're eventually going to hit, or you know, have to overcome a hurdle that you may not be able to navigate in the same way that you thought that kind of fits within the framework of what you were judging success by then, right? Like, I guess, simpler way to put that, that you might have to take a hard right turn somewhere along the path and success might look different at that point than it did, you know, 100 meters from that point, that juncture where you had to make that hard right turn. So being, and this is why I say kind of coming full circle with it, right? Like that understanding of, ebbs and flows of life and kind of embracing that. I mean, that's been COVID's been able, it's been an opportunity for me to re, you know, refamiliarize myself with, with that sort of thinking in that success. It's a, it's a process. It's all about the process. Cause mm-hmm. I mean, you know, depending on spiritual, you know, uh, you know, I guess alignment or focus of an individual, what happens after you die is, 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 you know what I mean? Like that, that can take on enough, but while you're here and you're present and you're doing what you're doing, things are going to be hard and then you die. Right. And, 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 and there are some, some constants that are very true there. That's one of them. Time is finite. There's only so much of it. You can get more money. You can get more, you know, to a degree health, especially with the, you know, with, with advanced medicine, uh, or you can make changes in your life. Thanks to screening and all sorts of things. And, and maybe go a little longer than you would have had you not. But but time is the one thing. Until we figure out how to jump backwards in time or to kind of operate, you know, in a nonlinear fashion, that is finite, you know, from the moment you're born to the moment you die and you're kind of racing towards that. And um, so how are you choosing to kind of invest your time? And it was actually listening to Bob Iger in a podcast or not a podcast in the Masterclass series that he did. Mm-hmm. Um, that I thought was really, really insightful, where he talks about time uh, and the decisions that you make about time in the same context of sort of an investment, right? Looking at everything you do as a as an investment of sorts versus, um, you know, 
perceiving a moment in time as, as something you might have another swing at later again, I guess, right? And, and I think when you think about things in that way, it changes the optics for you. It changes your approach, your, you know, the intentionality of what you might be doing in that moment. It's not fishing with dynamite anymore. It's no, I need to be a sniper about everything that I do. And, and again, that's easier said than done. It's, I think that process is, I guess, again, more specifically, what I want to hone in on there. It's that process of pursuing success, being willing to accept that you're never really going to have that figured out. But as long as you kind of adopt this sort of Darwinian way of thinking where, you know, you're running forward in time and there's a lion chasing you, you know what I mean? You might have to jump over a log. You might have to climb a tree. You might have to swim through a lake or what have you. But as long as you keep pushing forward and you're making decisions and you're present and I think you mentioned that earlier, and it's something that's really, really impactful and probably draws some focus to why meditation is so important, because it allows you to separate that sort of thinking, which is critical, from the moments that you do need to be more present in life um, so that you can kind of pursue these things in, in, a, in a more consistent fashion. And I think that's what it comes back to as well, right? It's consistency. It's not about being the fastest. It's it's about being the most consistent, right? And the only way to do that is to take risk and to to, to be aware of the circumstances that you, you're in, but not allow those to uh, pollute your ability to kind of continue to push forward. It's it's that balance, right? Success is an understanding and enough discipline uh, to achieve balance, I guess, in, in a lot mm. of ways. And that sounds so much more frou-frou than I intended it to be. But it's it's really, I think, at the end of the day, that's, for me, that, that barometer for judging whether or not I feel successful at the end of the day is based on, did I feel like I balanced my day in the way that I needed to was super productive in all the different areas, but now I'm able to invest the time that's finite in other things that are really important to me, um, you know, like my family um, mm. or, or my personal well-being, right? Going for a run, doing things to kind of center yourself. And I think it's that balance of, for me anyways, those three things. It's, it's you know, my family, myself and, and my professional endeavors and then trying to work out a rhythm that allows you to invest the necessary time to achieve uh, what you want to achieve without putting, again, and this is easier said than done, right? But, but, but putting so much strain on yourself that you're not as productive as you need to be in those moments. Because if there's someone like, I'm the first person to be really neurotic about achieving, you know, doing all these things and being hyper-focused, almost obsessed with what needs to get done to get it done right. And I think sometimes you need to tell yourself that you got to take a step back and kind of mm-hmm. just evaluate all the circumstances. So mm-hmm. I, I don't, um, I don't know if that helps answer that question, mm-hmm. but it, it gives you a, <laughs> a, yeah, a dose, sure. I guess, of, of some of the thinking. No, absolutely, it's interesting, isn't it? The um, there's a few things there that the first to to speak to your last point, something I experienced in relation to routines of like you i can be as neurotic as you like about getting things done and that presents itself sometimes in being extremely 
disciplined, I suppose, in my routine, particularly in the morning. Um, so I like to get a certain things done by a certain time and, you know, half an hour for this, half an hour for this, half an hour for this. And it's usually, uh, I went through a period of about a month where it was exactly the same, but I got to a point where I had the blinkers on so much that I wasn't able to see or recognize or, appreciate what else was going on because you know especially when it's a creative endeavor or or several creative endeavors whatever you're working on uh it's it's different when it's a very formulaic task like you're you're dealing with numbers or spreadsheets or something that kind of thing but when it's a creative endeavor you absolutely need to take the blinkers off uh at least every so often to allow your kind of periphery to open up and i think something that David Epstein's book, Range, if you haven't read that book, I would read that book, it's especially cool. you. I think you'd love that book. Um, something. It's a book I read probably at this, this exact time last year maybe. Um, and he wrote The Sport Gene as well, which is another wonderful book. But specifically for what we're talking about here, Range is, is incredible. That I work best – and I acknowledge this about myself now, I work best when I have several influences going on. Mm-hmm. And that could be um, whether it's in a specific business, I like to draw from different uh, influences and, and different different things. Um, but also I know that I don't work particularly well when I only do one thing, whether that's professionally, personally, you know, in terms of it could be uh, working out kind of thing. I work best when I go to the gym, when I run, when I swim, when I do some jiu-jitsu. I, I like to have a range of things. Totally. Um, and thinking back to my childhood and adolescence and so on in performing, that's how I would just prefer to do things. I, I'd play rugby, I'd play uh, tennis, volleyball, swimming, you know, all of these kind of things. And it's just, just how I prefer to do things. And I think yeah. I can see that now and feel that in myself. If I'm too focused on one thing for too long, I become very, very blinkered in my thinking. And and it definitely diminishes my ability to, to notice opportunities and to notice different things coming from different places. So that idea is something I get in a very real sense from you is that you're a very committed generalist in the sense of you like to pull different strings from different places and, and that very much informs how you how you work and how you go about things. You know, that's really intuitive of you. And that's funny. And I, <laughs> you know, it's funny. Society suggests that it's a bad thing to be a ba- you know a jack of all trades and and an ace in none right like mm-hmm. there's this overemphasis mm-hmm. on being hyper being a great worker bee that does this mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. right which makes sense i think at a at a communal level because you know a collective number of specialists in different areas enrich kind of the fabric of what needs to get done in community right and, mm-hmm. and in mm-hmm. society and some people do work that way that, totally. that absolutely plays to a lot of people's strengths for sure. Totally, totally. But for me and 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 you as well, right? You know, I, I think there is this comfort that's fed 
by curiosity and desire to kind of understand different circumstances, different, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's cultures or ways of thinking or, you know, anything. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and Mm -hmm. it's, it's again, that that trying to find or strike the balance in it all. And I, I, trust me, I was exactly like you with sport, you know, I'd I'd end football practice, hop in the car and drive an hour to go to hockey practice. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think, you know, my parents, when I was a kid, just, driving me around, you know, um, and working together to, to, to kind of figure that out, right. For, for three kids, but it, um, that balance, man, that, that, that ability to do a number of different things and operate in different groups and meet different people, I think is uh, a huge part of what I uh, perceive to be a contributor in, in what, a cause I, I achieve success is not a fair thing to say, because I, I think again, kind of, it would be contradicting what I just said a moment ago. I don't think it's a destination. I think it's a process. Uh, but I think to, to, fe- to feel that sense of uh, success, right. Success mm-hmm. in the day and winning the day um, is, you know, this kind of enriches that and it, it empowers it. Truthfully, it was a big part of the reason why we moved, Back from Central Florida, you know, we moved back to Central Florida from New Orleans for work and uh, and then moved back to Miami because we wanted to raise our son in an environment where there was no option to be immersed in different cultures or not, right? Like many places around this country, you can you can avoid that if you'd like, you know what I mean? And, and Miami, it's, you know, some people hated about Miami. I always loved it about Miami. This idea that like there is no other option but to be immersed in all these different cultures and ways of thinking and doing things. And you may not agree with all of them and that's completely okay too. But I think it's just being, you know, having access to them to, to experience them firsthand, I think does so much to shape um, a young mind. Right. And that mm-hmm. was a big part of us wanting to, to get back. And I know we've talked about that as well with just, you know, the major metro areas and the access that they provide um, in these culturally diverse environments where people look and sound and think different than one another. Um, and, and really kind of the beauty that comes from that collective diversity of, of, of society. So, um, yeah, man, there's, you know, no one more and experiencing more. You know, not that you want to kind of, not that you only want to be an inch deep and a mile wide, but I think access, right? Thinking about that, it doesn't really help you to be, you know, an inch wide and, and a mile deep in a specific subject. Yeah, you might be the specialist there, but then how do you translate that? How do you how do you connect, right, with other people? There is a ba- understanding, even if you don't know a whole bunch, uh, enough to be able to kind of engage and and learn from one another because assuming people do the same thing. I mean, that's, that's, that, that's the sort of connection that I think we all enjoy, right? When you get to walk away from some sort of use a social engagement as an example, you know, you walk away from that and go, um, yeah, that was, that was awesome because, you know, I, I got to learn or, you know, I didn't expect to learn something maybe expect is the wrong word there, but I, I didn't, there wasn't a preconceived notion about what I was going to do in that moment. Instead, I kind of opened myself up, like you mentioned at the beginning of the call, just to kind of whatever comes of it and, uh, and ask, you know, 
uh, and ask questions and, and learn from another person as they try to do the same from you. I mean, I think that mm-hmm. thinking could probably solve a lot of the big problems that we've been facing as of late as a, mm-hmm. <laughs> as a country, you know? Yeah, for sure. It's, it's reminds me of what you were saying about data points and how, yes, you can think about data points and, and collecting data points in a very, very binary way. And I think, we need to be in a position to be able to do that for ourselves, whether you're talking about entrepreneurship or just generally working through life. I think the more you can be open to accepting and filtering data points, ultimately, I think the more successful you're going to be. Eric Reese talks about this in um, the Lean Startup. Mm. with uh, obviously you know in in his context he was talking about developing an app and and how they released this app and expected it to just be you know the next big thing and it and it bombed and the process that they really went through of okay we need feedback we need these data points and we need to collect them and look to receive them in a big way yeah. because the more information you gather provided you have an efficient enough filtration system in line with where you want to get to ultimately, there's absolutely no reason you shouldn't achieve that and and be quote unquote successful there because you create your own roadmap as you go along. If you know what you need to do in order to, in order to progress is you need answers you need the coordinates for the next place on the journey yeah and those data points are going to provide that for you so if you have an efficient enough system for collecting that and bringing it around to how it deviates to a fairly non-binary way of looking at data points a self-awareness of our own data points in terms of what it means to play to your own strengths. Yeah. And I think about this in relation to the, the, the continuum of extroversion and introversion is a very uh, kind of clear example of how this can work because I think we, for the most part, have an understanding if we think about ourselves, where we sit on that, on that continuum. I know that I float further towards the introverted side of the spectrum, but relatively just introverted side of center, I would say. Sure. I get my energy from being from being either on my own or with a small group of people or, or with another person. I don't I, I get exhausted relatively quickly from large, large groups of people. Um, you know, and I, I, lo- I love for nothing more than just to chill out and sit down and read a book kind of thing. So, yeah, that's where I would put myself. But knowing that and understanding that and really spending time in that self-awareness allows you to collect data points moving through life to put yourself in more positions on a more consistent basis that are going to resonate with you on a very powerful level. Yep. Just what you were saying about putting yourself in positions, whether you're experiencing something or having a conversation with another person or, uh, you know, going to a concert, whatever it is. 
having that time in either meditation or just general kind of sense of self-awareness where you're really learning about yourself and going off those data points and asking those questions of yourself. Did this resonate with me? Did it not? Um, did this feel good? Did it not? Very, very basic questions, but I think point you in a very positive direction of learning more about yourself and thus putting yourself in more positions going forward in the future that are more likely to resonate with you. I yeah. think we spend a lot of our time trying to push ourselves into shapes and boxes that we don't necessarily fit into. And I think there's something to be said for working on your weaknesses, for sure, 100%. But equally, I think it's incredibly empowering to really have a really in-depth understanding of truly what your strengths are and playing to those where you can and putting yourself in positions more often to be able to really nail those down. Yeah. Well, no, that's a fair, it's a really fair point. And I guess the thing that, that kind of comes to mind when you say that is putting, you know, initially in the absence of, of that understanding, having enough self-awareness to at least put yourself in circumstances where you're over, you know what I mean? Like you, you've got to jump in, right? Mm -hmm. Like you've got to jump in and let, you know, let your head go underwater and try to tread water and come back up and experience different things. And, and you know, I mean, <laughs> you hope that you don't get into a situation that you get into some trouble as you're doing that, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. I think you want to find some sort of safe spectrum to kind of operate. Yeah, in. an I'm incremental go, process. Yeah, yeah. Go, I'm not encouraging people to go rob a bank today for the sake mm -hmm. of experiencing what that feels like. But I think it's it's the it's the idea of putting yourself to your point in and creating opportunity for yourself to explore something you don't know, find out if you're good at it or not, and then using that to continue to shape um, your path for finding, right? Like, and this is kind of an evolution that happens with most people over the course of their life. But I think a lot of that, to your point, um, is stifled maybe at the beginning or earlier in their life because they're not, they're not, Society doesn't necessarily encourage people to go out there and do that, right? And, and you know, you got to do things in this way uh, for a reason. And then you start figuring things out and exploring things for yourself later on in life. And again, I, I think that there is a, because we've also seen the flip side of that, you know, things explored in society and then people kind of come back towards this, this middle as they, you know, find that equilibrium. I, I think that's fair within reason you know but I, I think that needs to be guided by principles as well i think right like you can't forego principles in the interest of exploring experiences that you later find out don't really mean anything to you because you kind of abandoned your your why to begin with i think that's yeah. the that's the thing like to whatever extent you have to try different things to kind of achieve the answer or find the answer to your why, then that's great. Doing it for the sake of doing it is like another thing entirely, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, it's like jumping in with the sharks and, you know, mm -hmm. and being overly optimistic that you're not going to get bit. Like, it's just that's, you know, again, there, there's, there's that, that, that blade, I guess, cuts both ways. So you, you mm -hmm. need to be mindful of that. But, um, yeah, I, I think that that is the question, right? Like, I think that's the thing that we we sometimes 
distance ourselves from, right? Or we don't learn in, you know, the confines of society today. It's not necessarily encouraged. Although I, I would say, you know, it might be a generational thing because entrepreneurs, obviously, like that is the their brand in a lot of ways. This like discovering what your passion is and then working towards that every single day. Um, and that's kind of probably set the youth of today up with a different toolkit than we maybe had coming up. Uh, but I, it doesn't mean that you still don't ask yourself those questions or that parents shouldn't or teachers or anyone in some sort of position of influence over, over the youth shouldn't encourage people to go out there, children, you know, youth to go out there and, and ask themselves those questions. Like, what do I like? Mm-hmm. What don't I like? And let me try to understand that. Uh, and figure that out and think for myself. I think that's the biggest thing, right? Like mm-hmm. as, as well, there's a lot of biggest things here, as I've said that and been redundant about it, but there, that's another really big kind of critical piece is, you know, I, I oftentimes tell my son, like, that's my job is to, yeah, be your dad, of course, but, but to set you up for life when I'm not here so that you're able to think for yourself and, and kind of operate independent of, of anyone else, right? Like, to be a successful contributor to any sort of relationship or, or team dynamic that, that you hope to be a part of in the future, you have to be kind of very centered as an individual. And a part of being able to kind of be centered as an individual is understanding some of the answers to these questions that, unfortunately, a lot of us don't really start asking until way later in our lives than we probably should. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a notion that was first introduced to me when I was a personal trainer and has again, subsequently since moving into the more mental side of training, etc. But with a lot of those kind of professions, just the notion that your, your main job is to put yourself out of a job. The person, the individual that you're working with or the group or the team that you're working with, you should be working every single day to get them to a point where they don't need you anymore. Yeah. And while that's a dreadful business model, <laughs> that's, that's the reality of, of, of a lot of those uh, care-based um, roles. And that's, that's, I think, if you can be guided by that in those roles, then, then that's extremely powerful. But question for you, do you... Yeah. Meditate on mortality, on a general in a, in a general way. It's something you've mentioned a few times now, and and you just did in relation to your son as well. Is it something that you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. I I, I think I tend to. We've you know whether it's just a product of circumstances that I've grown up in or reality of like, you know, just realities that I've experienced in my own life or seen around me. Um, Mortality is a real thing. And we fool ourselves into thinking that as grim as that sounds, that it's not there. And not that you need to, again, plague every decision you make with those realities, but it should be a constant. It should, it's a reality that, that, that when you lose sight of, you 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 lose time in right like you 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 become unaware it's like you know it's like swimming and never picking your head up to look up and see where you're going it's like you're swimming yeah you're swimming but you're swimming. that that's the problem i think a lot of people are just swimming for the sake of swimming because that's what 
productivity and swimming is mm-hmm. what we mm-hmm. what we judge as success versus being directionally correct and at least moving towards somewhere you need to be moving. And the only, for me anyways, a way to, to kind of, a very real way to kind of bring that into focus is to, to kind of remind myself that things are finite, you know, to, to adopt a more, uh, <laughs> funny as it sounds, and we just finished the last episode of Vikings, but, but kind of in the same way that the Vikings kind of appreciated this sort of sense of Valhalla, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And chasing this sort of, you know, it's, it's, it's about, there isn't complacency there, right? Like I think forgetting that breeds a complacency. And if that, if there's one thing that is like, there are a few things that irk me. Complacency is like in general, laziness, people that are, I mean, circumstances not allowing me to do it is another mm-hmm. thing entirely. And I can't mm-hmm. pull that up, but, but a, a willingness to succumb to circumstances um, or tell yourself there's no other option is met with like harsh criticism in a lot of ways by me. Uh, and maybe that's even within myself, right? Like I think that is a reality for me. And I think it's because I judge those circumstances against that very real truth, right? We are surviving every day and moving closer towards that sense of end, right? And 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 as such, you need to be as productive about working towards that thing that makes you passion, you know, that, that, that drives you, but, but then, you know, what that eventual goal is like, what is that goal? You don't work for the sake of work. You, you work to, yeah, maybe get a sense of achievement from it. But, you know, again, in my case, it's to be able to, to, to do something, to give back, to create opportunity for others, to, to leave my family in a, in a better circumstance than, than, you know, when we, when we became a family, you know what I mean? It's all mm-hmm. of that. Right. And, and just kind of working towards that, I mean, otherwise, like, what is, what's, mm-hmm. what is it all worth? Like, why, why, you know, I guess if you're not, if you're not finding that sense of purpose, what are you really working towards, right? And and for me, it's, it's you know, again, mortality allows me to, to kind of create clarity um, there. I, I realize how grim that sounds and <laughs> it sounds really, really dark. I don't, I don't mean for it to sound as dark as it does, but um I, uh, I'll, I'll caveat you there. I think it needs to. Mm. I think it should. I, I, I think if it doesn't, then what are we? What are we really doing? I think it's. You think about the Spartans and and to a degree the the Vikings as well. Who, I mean, it was the Spartans, wasn't it? That said uh, that that celebrated the person that could give them the truest test and could return them to their maker kind of thing. And then similar kind of thing with, with, with the Vikings of the greatest honor is to die on the battlefield and so on and things like that um, to, to make your way to Valhalla. But I think there's something interesting in a lot of philosophy and to a certain degree, religious text as well, where we hear about being okay or being at peace with the idea of dying and with your your mortality and so on. And a lot of the Stoic philosophy, particularly someone like Epictetus, talks about 
if you lose your partner or your child or a pet or something, they have simply returned to where they were before. You didn't own them. Mm. So you just move on. And I bristle a little bit when I read things like that because obviously we have so much emotional attachment to, to our loved ones and, and to our families and our friends and so on that I find it difficult to think of death as, as not a very um, dark thing. Yeah. I think we need to accept that it is, and or, or sorry, that it is, you know, at least in my estimation, because I've, you know, I think it, for me, accepting that death is a dark idea is my way of accepting the beauty and the energy of life. Yeah. Um, and in another sense, accepting that, well, I'm not ready for it to be over yet. There's still too much to do and there's still too much, too many experiences to have and too many, you know, um, yeah, I suppose just too many experiences to have. And, and that brings, at least for me, brings me back around to a place of, oh, yeah. Yeah, there really is. And there really are. Yeah. Let's, let's go do it kind of thing. Um, it's an interesting process. It's an interesting to think about. For you, we're talking about purpose. Is purpose something you're working towards or is purpose a source of energy that you carry with you both mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. both how does that work <clears throat> because in the interest of completely kind of accepting that you don't know everything mm -hmm. and that your opinions on circumstances might change um you Again, I mean, it's this idea of living life in sort of a directionally correct manner. I mean, not that that sounds so much more kind of effervescent than I intend for it to sound, but that's kind of the reality. I mean, you 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 have a purpose mm -hmm. that might be charging what you do on a daily basis until you experience or interact with something that might cause you to take a right or a left, right, and or 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 even just a, a small, you know pivot in, in a different direction. Um, not that that changes your idea, but I think it, it, it's both what is charging you today and then the things you might pick up along the way, right? It's, it's kind of that walking that path and, and, and finding things that continue to kind of feed that, that idea of that feeling of purpose, right? Like that, that feeling of, of accomplishing something. I mean, purpose, I think is unique to each individual, obviously, and, and kind of what they hold dear. And there's probably a balance that happens there. And I say this, you know, somewhat ignorantly, cause you're, you're the, uh, you, <laughs> you're the trained professional in this area, right. As, as the, you know, studied in, in the art form of the mind. But I, I, I would say that, um, you know, it's, it's a balance of the experiences that you've had and a culmination of what you perceive to be the thing that drives you in those moments. 
but it's also opening up your peripherals and your ability to kind of take in new opportunities or new experiences that might shape that. I mean, they may not be bigger than what's driving you. It may be a snowball effect that kind of fortifies that. Um, or it may create a stuttering step for you to question as to whether or not that is the purpose. But I think all of that, like, you know, a muscle being worked out is, 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 is good, right? I mean, muscles mm-hmm. grow when they tear and, and, and it's the same sort of thing when you're challenging yourself um, or you're asking yourself this question kind of on a constant basis, um, you're, you're able to uh, maybe refocus that. And I guess, you know, as, as I'm saying that, that, that sense of purpose, maybe that for me anyways, right. I think all of us, but for me, more specifically, it, it's that uh, being self-aware enough to be able to open yourself up to those around that the environment around you, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think that is that sort of the why is driving you towards something, but then the purpose in that, in a lot of ways, right, uh, is is also possessing enough wherewithal to recognize that you don't have it all figured out and you need to keep yourself open to mm-hmm. whatever the universe, the universe might throw your way and then either adapt, uh, or, 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 you know, conform to, to the decisions you make in that moment. But to be in mm-hmm. control of that, I think is the key, right? To be aware and have enough presence of mind to kind of navigate that. I think that is, you know, that is that sense of that purpose for me comes from that ability to kind of, uh, you know, have dominion over that, right. To, mm-hmm. to really kind of be able to drive and, and manage um, the mental element of it all, because I think everything almost it's secondary, you know, if mm-hmm. you were to think of your body and the way that you think and do things, I mean, it's what you do is secondary to what you think and, mm-hmm being able to manage there at the source kind of better uh, equips you to influence what you do. Um, and then the outcomes that are the byproduct of what you do. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I also think what you do can inform what you think, or at least in the sense of the distinction between purpose being a destination or a, or a fuel. I take issue for the most part, just how I prefer to, to do things. I take issue with purpose being a destination. Mm-hmm. We heard the, um, the story of the, the two fish, two fish, uh, old fish and the young fish. Um, it's old fish swimming along and he sees this young fish, little fish swimming around maniacally in the water. And he says, son, what's, what's wrong? You, you look anxious. You look, you look fretful. He said, Oh no, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just desperately looking for the ocean. And the old fish was, well, look around, you're in it. You're in the ocean. <laughs> he says, no, 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 this isn't the ocean. This is just water. And then carries on swimming. So it, it's that sense of you're already there. Yeah. It's all around you. Just do stuff, do things, yeah. take action, act. Base it on your, again, coming back to self-awareness, your sense of, of intuition, for sure. Mm. Is there a sense here that this, at the very basic level, interests you? 
and then you move further and you think of uh, passion you think of uh, of true something giving you true joy something really fulfilling you do you have even one of those things in your life okay we'll move towards that totally do more in relation to that build your routine build your practice build your life build your career around that and it will inevitably start to branch off into different things if that's where you want to go with it there are obviously people out there that are extremely specialized that's how they work that's how they prefer to do things that's great that's wonderful it's not personally how i work it's obviously not based on what you've said uh, how you choose to work either but that's for me anyway i, I think I, i lost so much time and energy trying to think about mm, what, what what my purpose you know when i was when i was a lot younger thinking about what i wanted my purpose to be and i think that's it's often a, a mistake that particularly introverts get themselves into is is they spend too much time sitting around thinking about this stuff and ultimately you just need to try things you need to get out and do things and uh, and get, again coming back to that idea of gathering those data points and something doesn't resonate resonate it doesn't resonate okay leave it to the side move on why didn't it resonate what what would you prefer move in that direction um so i think uh, coming back to what you were saying earlier about the the process about it being a, a very definite process of of almost data mining and and figuring that out based on the the little pieces of the puzzle as we go along um very powerful i think yeah for sure very practical as well should we get on to the questions let's do it are you ready i'll try to be yeah i'm as <laughs> ready as i'll ever be stop trying <laughs> stop trying you know real I, quick though before we, mm. and, and i was just um digesting what you were saying but mm. i think that's that's i think there's so much to be said for that right like and arguably like i've been super guilty of that professionally my entire career right while been kind of a entrepreneur and residence for other people the idea of kind of stepping out on a ledge and walking the plank for yourself mm-hmm. it's been something i oh yeah different time no you're, safety you're net. It. yeah totally yeah yeah and um at some point you just or at m- multiple points with different contexts, right? You're going to, you're going to have to continue to do that. And I think the faster you get at recognizing that you're in one of those situations that you have to do and not, not say or contemplate or think, or, I mean, again, not that you, you jump headfirst in everything you can. Mm. And and trust me, if there's an opportunity to be cautious about something, I mean, there is one thing that's predictable about me. I, I, I want to look at it 10 different ways before mm-hmm. I make a decision mm-hmm. on something. Uh, I truly understand it. Um, but at some point you just got to, you got to jump and you got to mm-hmm. just go. And um, it's funny, a good buddy of mine, John Davidson um, today just tagged me on a social post talking about a, he, he used a little vignette from Indiana Jones uh, and, you know, a scene where he's, kind of taking a leap of faith. He says that to himself, right? That the famous scene where he kind of walks and he's, he's believing the in holy, himself. The holy grail. That's yeah, right. And, you know, he, 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 you know, kind of tees it up for a group of friends within his network to, to kind of, you know, respond to it. Oh, this is a lot like entrepreneurism and, and it's super relevant because that that's, 
I mean, it's timely, right? But but it's it's exactly what we're talking about. I mean, at some point, talking or thinking or contemplating or sizing up, while all of the prerequisites are important, you there's no substitute for just doing it um, mm-hmm. and just getting out there and, and you know uh, and trying it. So um, yeah, I don't know. I guess I wanted to just before we mm. jump into the questions, you know. Uh, Support that thinking that, mm. you know, there mm. is no substitute for just getting out there and giving it a try, man. You know, yeah. life's a beach. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think as long as you have something in uh, by means of measuring it to, to again, come to that point of at least whether, whether it was a positive experience or a negative one, I am more informed than I was half an hour ago. And this is why, yeah, for sure. So dive in and measure, yeah, hundred percent. Okay. Right. Question one. All right. Was one recent purchase of under a hundred bucks the most po- has, that's most positively impacted your life? Hmm. It's a good one. I mean, the pragmatic side of me is like, I don't know, N95 mask right now with everything going on with COVID. <laughs> That's positively <laughs> impacted your life yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, I would say, um, it, not that it's the most, it's just one of the first ones maybe that comes to mind. And mm-hmm. as I continue to ask myself to push past it, I keep coming back to it, mm-hmm. um, is what um, not even – what Peloton, the Peloton product per se, although it's great. And obviously we've talked about that. I think what, what it was the catalyst for, um, I had been, oh, you know, for for the last few years, and this is funny kind of being someone that grew up in athletics. Like I just made every excuse. And in some instances was just didn't have the time of day or I didn't prioritize the time to go out there and exercise. And I've taken to running um, since COVID set in. Peloton mm-hmm. kind of started that, uh, kind of started to break me into getting it done. It also was a coworker um, at the company I worked with uh, or worked for right before uh, um, starting my own shop. He, uh, you know, he was an ultra marathon runner and, and I, you know, middle-aged gentleman, just tough as nails, cool, really, really great cat. And, uh, um, you know, he, he, he conveyed this sort of sense of strength from it all. And I guess for me, I was just like, ah, running sounds really great. It's not for me. And it was Peloton in a lot of ways that that kind of pushed me over the edge and then got me into it. And then from there, kind of, it took on a bit of a life of its own. You know, I used to run a lot, um, not just with sport, but like running, running on the beach was a thing that my mom and I did when, when we were, uh, when I was a lot younger. So mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, it's allowed me to, to kind of, uh, get back to running, man. It's, it's nice. So yeah, I'd say Peloton app. Thank you for your $10 you a month. A, uh, a favorite instructor. Um, yeah, I, I think one of my favorites, um, you know, so there, it depends on the mood, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when I was, I, again, I haven't listened to Peloton quite as much lately, mm-hmm. uh, but 
Bex Gentry was a fun one uh, for, for, for again, specific genres of music and focus. For whatever reason I found, it's funny, that I appreciated running with... Uh, uh, British accent. Yeah, yeah, well, that's exactly Is that what you're right. going to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it was definitely a contributor. Uh, it's funny because I was chatting with a good friend that's in the UK, and she was saying that she's like, I can't, really, I can't really run to the American accent. It's very difficult for me to do, and we got a good bit of good bit of laughing out of it. But um, it, the accent, sure, absolutely. But I think the male female kind of mm-hmm. dynamic, it, mm-hmm. it, it was somewhat. I found at least at the beginning. I don't know what this means or what this says, right? But like their female coaching, I thought to be really productive. And then there were, you know, as I started to kind of pick up with endurance, um, there were some of the male instructors that I think had just a different style to them. Mm-hmm. Um, hold on, I'll, I'll give you two more that that come to mind, uh, really because of their music, but also their coaching style. And not that they had this sort of like, macho i don't think anyone's really kind of got that macho style of you know of of, of exercising mm-hmm. within peloton i think it's all very approachable i mean that's very much the brand is we're, we want to turn everyone into an athlete mm-hmm. uh but i um chase i think is his name chase baker maybe okay um yeah it's is one of the one of the faves for me as well nice just looking out there sounds good yeah anywho I'm glad that you chose uh, chose Bex. So you have to have the give the credit to the Brits where we can. That's right. That's right. Yeah. No. It's uh, she's she's absolutely yeah. Chase Tucker. That's it. Chase so Tucker. Say, okay. Yeah. Chase Tucker, uh, Bex Gentry, and Adrian Williams. Nice. And Robin Arzon. Shout out to you guys. If, you know, for some reason you're listening to this. You guys are great. Good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> cool. Okay. Question two. What's the one book you've most gifted slash recommended to people? Mm. You can't say the Tao Te Ching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's funny. I, I don't, you know, that's one of those ones. Maybe it's because of the way that I found it. It just has mm-hmm. always been very personal, which is why hey. I really enjoyed mm-hmm. us connecting over it. Um, uh, um, man, I would, you know, I, I, that's difficult. I would say, so big fan of shoe dog. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just, I've always been a big fan of Nike and Phil Knight's story. Um, so I, th- but I, that's again, one of the first ones that came to mind, but I don't think yeah. it's, it's probably, um, I don't know. 10 X has been up there. I mean, there have been a few. I, I, uh, you know what? I think in terms of actually recommending to people though, it might be a, a Dale Carnegie book. And maybe mm-hmm. that's just because I've lived in corner, you know, corporate America for a bit and done a fair bit of sales training and that sort of thing. But Dale Carnegie's approach, I think to understanding behavior uh, human behavior in that environment, I always found really interesting and relevant, despite the fact that it was written as long ago as it, as it was. Mm, right. Mm, mm. Um, so probably, you know, um, something within his, his arbitrage of, 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 of great literature. Okay. Nice. Cool. Next question. 
You run a fortune cookie business. To save money, your company prints only one saying to put inside the cookies. What, pe- what one piece of advice that you've received or learned would you choose to be written on the slip of paper? It's a great question. <laughs> That's a great question. Um, well, yeah, to, uh, to teach is to learn twice. Hmm. Nice. To teach is to learn twice. I like that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Last question. What's one thing people can do today to give them an edge over yesterday? Um... Ask, you know, I guess very much in the same vein of what we've been discussing today, you know, aside, I think of the practical tools of meditating and exercise. um, It would be, it would be pushing them to, to, to ask them, right. To ask, have someone ask themselves why they do what they do and what they're trying to achieve with it. Right. To, to, to kind of encourage internal dialogue, I think Mm -hmm. would be the biggest bit. Mm Mm-hmm. Have a conversation with yourself. You're not crazy for doing that. Even if you've got to have it out, you know, out loud, um, have a conversation with yourself. You'll be surprised at how much you um, are able to benefit from that, you know, and gain focus from it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Huge, huge. Yeah, I think we, we fall into patterns of thinking that that kind of conversation with ourselves is almost self-indulgent in a way, mm. but it's so important, isn't it? Just to, just to have that sense of very basically, why am I doing this? And is this resonating with where I want to be? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool. Absolutely. Well, my friend, this has been an absolute pleasure. I've I, really uh, enjoyed this. It's been a lot of fun and it's been really enlightening. It's been fascinating to hear uh, the, you know, very multifaceted story, which is, which I appreciate and applaud you for your for your authenticity and for your willingness to share it thanks man yeah no i uh i appreciate the opportunity uh you know certainly wasn't sure where the conversation was going to go but uh you asked some questions and uh wanted to give you wanted to give you the answers that i was thinking man so i i appreciate the opportunity to do that and like always i enjoy the heck out of our conversations. I always uh, come away from them feeling, uh, you know, that much more enlightened, <laughs> that much more aware, if you will, uh, mm-hmm. just of, of the world around me. So uh, thank you for the opportunity and your friendship, sure. my friend. Thank you very much. I'll speak to you soon. Sounds good. Talk soon.